Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Verizon Church. It's so good to see you all. You can call yourselves the spring break crowd if you'd like to. Um, everybody else is posting pictures of like snow in Utah, and we're enjoying this beautiful Florida weather. I don't know why you would ever want to escape this, but um, it is so good to see y'all here in the house of God this morning. I, I was here this morning at 8 o'clock. I set off the alarm. It was, it's fine. It's all good. Um, you know, losing an hour of sleep and not drinking enough coffee, I just could not remember the alarm code. So I had to call the owner and be like, I'm so sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, just woke him up an hour early. It's fine. Everything is fine. But I know there were people here who set out these chairs and pulled these wires and these cords and, and practiced the songs here because they wanted you to experience the grace of a God who is ready to make sure your next time isn't like all of the other last times. They pray. They pray that there be room in your life and in our world that God could come in and release us all to shine his light and ignite his change. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for showing up this morning because what happens here is important. If you have your Bibles with you, if you'll open them up, and uh, to Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 14. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 14. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. I need to explain to you that what that means is, break bread is, it was church language. Luke is the guy who wrote this book of Acts. It was a book that was written after Jesus has raised up from the dead. And as the church is gaining this momentum, as this this movement, this organization that is on fire for the mission of the Jesus who was raised from the dead. The Jesus who helped to see the people who no one else saw. The Jesus who healed the things no one else could heal. The Jesus who fought the things in our world that were keeping people in darkness and, and, and pain and shame. That Jesus, they came together to break bread, to, to share with one another uh, a meal and the teachings of Jesus, to, to break bread together at the first of the week, okay? Paul is their leader. He's a pastor whose heart and life has been completely changed by God and by the risen Christ, and he spoke to the people this day. He's sort of leading this part of the movement, and because he intended to leave the next day, so he's gathered in this room with people. They're breaking bread. They're worshiping, and he intended to leave the next day, so he kept on talking until midnight. They gathered around lunchtime, and he kept talking until midnight. Y'all don't just call yourselves the spring break crowd today. You call yourselves the all day long crowd now. Because uh, we're, we're going to be here till midnight. I'm kidding. kidding. <laughs> there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. So Luke is telling his story. He's like, don't worry. I know you read that part about midnight. There's no electricity. But there was plenty of light. There were lamps. There was oil. Everything's good. There's plenty of light in the, in the upstairs room. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. That's why we're worshiping on the ground today. <laughs> All right, we're going to keep going. Paul went down. Paul, the leader, he goes down, he throws himself on the young man, he puts his arm around him, and he says, up to those people hanging out the third window, don't be alarmed, Paul says, he's alive now. <laughs> this, is, this is a silly story, right? All right, let's keep going. Then Paul went upstairs again, they broke some more bread, they ate again, 
And after talking until daylight, he's like, went to midnight, might as well get to daylight, right? After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Y'all can say, thanks be to God. There's been some moments in my life this week when I was like, why in the world did Luke include this story in Acts? You know, this story that's helping the church get, like, excited about the movement and the organization that's happening so that they can follow this mission of Jesus into the world. Like, why in the world did Luke include this? Like, it's probably not the best story to be telling people, right? That they preach for hours and hours and hours. Today's message is not actually a story about not sitting in a window in the third story to listen to a long-winded preacher go on and on and on, but it's why this story was shared with us in the first place, and this is why. Because it highlights something. It highlights a piece of our humanness that gets in the way of the restoring, redeeming, making new work of God. And that is sleeping. Some of y'all sleep through my sermons. I've seen it. Um, I'm not saying resting gets in the way of you and, and the redeeming, being a part of the redeeming work of God. What I'm saying is that there is something that happens in worship for an hour on Sunday mornings. And you can go through the motions and sleep through it. Or you can be awake and alive to the redeeming and making new work of God. We live in a world. We live in a world where you go 110 miles an hour every single day. I see y'all in Del Mabry. I know what y'all are doing. <laughs> right? You are going 110 miles an hour all day, every day. And then you go straight from that to sleep. There's a difference between resting. When you rest, you are awake enough to see the things around you that are emerging. You're slow enough, your, your body, your mind, your brain, your heart, things have slowed down enough that you can begin to see clearly what's emerging around you, right? Sleep is a different state of consciousness. You have no idea what's going on around you when you're asleep. And this story highlights for us a piece of our humanness that often gets in the way of the redeeming and restoring work of God. And that is that we become complacent and sleep through life. Throughout human history, we've done a few things to get in the redeeming, in the way of the redeeming work of God. We, some part of our humanness gets in the way of what it is that God wants to do. Adam and Eve, they're the first people that are created, and they hide from God. They do something wrong. They do the one thing God tells them not to do. And then what do they try to do? They try to hide from God. And God's like to find you, not a mean, like I'm after you kind of way, but in a, guys, why'd you do that? Let's, let's figure out how to make your next time, not like the last time that they hide from God. And so many of us do this as humans too, right? How many of you spend so much energy and, and, and exhaust yourself trying to hide the things about you you don't want anybody else to know? How many of you are tired this morning because you just press so many things down the grief? pain, the exhaustion, the overwork, the, the not being what all you want to be to everybody around you. And we hide from these things. We just cover it up, put a smile on our face, fill our coffee cup up, and pretend like everything is okay 
in life. We hide. Humans have done this throughout history. We hide. The second thing we do is we run, right? This is what Jonah did. He was the guy who got swallowed by a whale and spent three days in the belly of a whale because he ran from what it was God was asking him to do. How many of us run from what it is God asks us to do? I'm standing up here. I'm a professional. I literally run for fun. Um, like, literally love to run. But uh, as, a, as a young adult, I felt a call to ministry, and I ran to a seventh grade classroom. I wish God would have put me in the belly of a whale for three days. <laughs> Teaching math to 12-year-olds, like, that was not the place to run from God. So many of us are doing that in our lives, though. You are running from what it is God has asked you to do. And the third thing that humans have done for throughout time is deny. How many times do we have a chance to, to, to name, to claim our faith in Jesus in the ways it has changed us, and we pretend like we don't know what people around us are talking about or seeing different in our lives? We deny the work of God and the work that God is doing in our lives. We deny it, just like Peter did on the night before Jesus was born three times, three times. One of his very best friends who saw him do amazing, miraculous things. And God said, no, I don't, I don't know him. I wasn't there for that. We deny and we lie. And then this, this, this fourth thing creeps in in human history as, as the church is gaining momentum and trying to, 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 to change the world in the way that God would want us to do after Jesus raised from the dead. These people are like seeing orphans and widows and hungry people fed and like the world is changing. And so many of them are showing up to break bread, and just like Eutychus, they're sleeping through what it is God wants them to do. I'm here this morning to tell you that we are in a series called First Things First. It's how to make sure your next time isn't like your last time. And so many of us are sleeping through our lives. And God gives us a gift. You're sitting in the middle of it. Every single week, we get a moment to pause, pause, and to worship God for just a moment in the week when we've been running 110 miles an hour, we get a moment to pause, and it helps us to come alive to what it is that God is doing. Every week, the people who follow Jesus, they would meet once a week. They broke bread. Together, we drink coffee together. They listen to the teaching of the leaders, and their lives were changed every single week because they ensured that their next time wouldn't be like the last time. See, that Friday before they met together at lunch on Sunday, they might walk by a widow begging for money, and they just walk right on by. Had nothing to offer. And because they met together, because they met together the next time they walked by her. She had a name. They knew what she needed and what she wanted, and they invited her to be a part of Breaking Bread the next week because they came alive. Their next time walking by her wasn't like last time. Parents who, who spent all week dyeing purple cloth and making food and growing gardens and working hours and hours and hours on end, they would come together, they would pause, they would break bread, and they would listen to their teacher, and they would leave home different, making sure that the next time, the next Monday morning wasn't like the last time, that they were a little more patient with the precious children entrusted to their care. 
Their next time wasn't like the last time because they took the gift that God gave them to pause. All of you have, have done that this morning. You are sitting in the midst of a gift. You get to pause. Everybody else in the world is, is rushing through the next thing. They've probably dealt with delays from, from airports and everything else. And you, this morning, have taken this opportunity to pause so that your next time, through the grace of God, isn't like last time. Way to go. Way to go. This is what happens in worship. This is what Eutychus was sleeping through. When we pause, nowhere else in the world do you get an hour to sit still with the creator of the world, with other believers who want to make sure their next time isn't like the last time, and pause. When we pause, when we worship, we own it. Just by showing up this morning, you admitted that you are not a perfect human and that you are in need of the grace of a God who loves you and wants to make you new and heal you. You owned that before you even walked in the door. Even if somebody made you be here, even if somebody drove you here, something about you owned that we aren't perfect and that we need the grace and goodness of God. The, the churchy word for that is totally depraved, totally deprived. There's, there is goodness in you, but it doesn't always seep out of you because of the world we live in. And here, in this place, we get a chance to own it. Not because you're bad or broken, but because a God who loves you, sees you sitting in these chairs this morning, and sees and wants to call out the goodness inside of you. Here... Unlike any other place in the whole world this morning, you just get to own it. This place gives us a space to rethink it. In a world that has bruised your thoughts and your mind and your heart and your spirit, the gospel of Jesus reshapes our thoughts. I'm a pastor, y'all. I study this thing every day, and I can still tell you that there are things in our world that creep into my mind and heart that make me live anxious and scared and fearful of the future. And for one hour, the gospel of Jesus that says, fear not, 365 times, it begins to reshape our thoughts. We begin to rethink who we are and what our responsibility is in the world. We rethink things here because of the power of the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus Christ. And finally, the God who you showed up for needing so desperately needing his grace and love so desperately in your life. You know what he whispers over you this morning? You are worthy. You, no matter what anybody else has told you or what you've done this week, you are worthy to shine my light and ignite my change in a world desperate for it. Your next time will not be like the last time you took time to worship here in this space. Let me tell you, you're, you're like, I need to invite some friends to, to pause and to worship. Let me tell you what you can tell. Here's the effects of not pausing, of not worshiping, of refusing to pause. You're going to smuggle your dysfunction and your brokenness into your future because you never have to own it. Let's put it in a backpack and walk on through life, but you can never pause for a second and say, God, this is something that I'm going to lay down at your feet. Here's my burden. Here's my crown. It's yours. You just put it in your pocket and smuggle it on into your future.
And I want to tell you what breaks my heart the most about this is we wind up hurting the people who want our very best, who want the healed and good things God has to offer to us and to the world. We smuggle our dysfunction and our brokenness into the future. This is what we do when we refuse to follow. The second thing that we do is we ensure that our next time is like last time. This is my favorite thing. When people, I meet the people, they're like, I don't know what I was thinking. And then they go, go right into the next thing, right? Well, pause and think, what was I thinking, right? So just say, what was I thinking? And then hop right back into the next thing. I'm like, you're missing the point. If you refuse to pause, you're going to ensure that your next time is like your last time. You're going to make sure that you keep doing the same things over and over and over again because you've not taken the time to pause, to heal, to recover. To meet the God who wants you to be different and whole and healed, you'll ensure that your next time is like your last time. And the last thing that happens is it impairs our ability to make clear decisions. When you are going 110 miles an hour, you are missing a lot of important things on your journey, and it, it does not help you make clear decisions. When you take a moment here in worship to pause, you get to slow down. In the world, the people around you, maybe people who don't even know anything about God, they get to benefit from you making clear and sound decisions at work, in the grocery store, as a volunteer, as a leader in our community. Other people benefit from you making clear decisions. And if you refuse to pause, it impairs our ability to make clear decisions. Those are the effects of not, of not pausing. So let's just talk about how we own it. The church word for own it is confession. So if anybody here grew up Catholic, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand if you grew up Catholic. But there's a, there's a piece of worship in the Catholic church called confession. It's a place where you say, like, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've fallen short. I've not done things that I'm supposed to. Um, in, in the way that I've acted and in the things that I have left Undone. There's this moment where you confess, I own that I've not been perfect this week, and that's what I, I bring. You essentially admit before God, yourself, and others that you have been wrong. We simply own it. There is power in owning our things that we have done wrong. There is power in it because guess what? Once you own it, guess what doesn't own you anymore? The shame and the pain and the brokenness. We own it, so it doesn't own us. God gives us this gift just by showing up this morning. You said, I'm not perfect, but I know the one who is. I don't want to be owned by my brokenness, my pain, my shame, my bad decisions. I don't want to be owned by that anymore. I want to be owned by the God who wants the goodness inside of me to seek out into a world desperate for it. When we own it, we are no longer owned by our own. We are owned by God who sees you as his worthy and beloved child. Then we rethink it. We, we tell this story of the gospel of Jesus. We tell a story about a guy falling out of a third story window and Paul being silly and be like, he's alive. Did y'all see this happening? We tell these stories because it allows the good news of Jesus to reshape our minds, reshape our thoughts, reshape who we are and who we are becoming. You get a moment... To, to rethink this story reshapes what it is that we do. It says, do not fear 365 times in here. 
So if you're living fearful and scared and anxious and worried, you get a moment here for God to say, I love you. You are worthy. Do not fear. I hold the future. God says, every single week as humans we here, we allow the good news of Jesus to reshape our minds. And finally, when we take communion up here, I often say the most important thing Jesus did in that upper room after he sent the, the people gathered there, after he sent them off, he said the most important thing you're going to do is share my love and goodness with the world desperate for it. We are released by God as different and changed people, ready to make sure our next time isn't like our last time, and that helps them make sure their next times aren't like their last times. We are released by God to shine light and ignite change. I'm here this morning to tell you that God works through worship in remarkable and incredible ways. We spent a year, Chris and I, Started, spent an entire year on the ground just meeting people and gathering folks up before we ever met for worship. And we were even like, ah, we can we figure out how to do this church thing without having to meet for an hour or two on Sunday mornings? Can we figure this out? And we realized that we craved deeply, we craved worship. He's not here this morning, but our very first Sunday of worship, Chris Brewer showed up. Chris Brewer showed up absolutely like. And he'd tell you this. His life was a little bit of shambles. He'd spent his entire life sleeping through church, just going through the motions. His mom and daddy would drag him to church. He'd show up to youth group. He'd sing the songs. He'd do what he was supposed to. He went home, and his faith never, ever impacted his life. He showed up being really good at sleeping through life. His wife drug him there. He thought he was going to be doing that all over again. And now most Sundays, Travis, thank you for doing it this morning. But most Sundays, he sits over there and gives you the opportunity to encounter this this story of the gospel of Jesus in a way that, that helps you rethink and reshape your life because it changed every single fiber of his life and his story, and he was different because of it. His girls will tell you, I'll pull them out of her eyes and kids, and they'll tell you, he's been a different dad since we started worship here because there's something about pausing for an hour every Sunday that releases us to be the new and whole and healed people God has asked us to be. This week, I... Um, when I was doing uh, some of the studying for, for this message and stuff, I was actually uh, thinking about people who sort of get into this ulterior state of mind when they're, um, when they're doing something. You know, like, you know, what does it look like for us to sleep through the things that we are doing? And I, I came across this guy named Martin, hold on, I gotta check his name, Martin Stefanik. Martin Stefanik, he, he is the current world record holder for the deepest free dive ever. So does anybody here know what a free dive is? So a scuba dive is you put a tank of oxygen on your back and you dive to the depths of the ocean to explore with oxygen like attached to your body. Free divers do this with a single breath of air. No like tank of oxygen, to nothing. They just like dive. He, on a single breath of air, has the record for going 400 feet under the water. That's crazy, right? So he started this organization of teachers who teach people how to free dive, how to dive down to the depths of the water. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't do like deep diving stuff well. Like the second I like feel myself like need a breath, I come up for air. Like, you know, I, that's how I swim um, on the top. Um, <laughs> I don't like, my kids also struggle with this. It's like, 
just put your head in the water. And like, no, you can't breathe. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> um, so anyway, you're like, um, and swim lessons. I'm on the side of the pool. I'm not, I have nothing to do with the experience of this. Anyway, they're like, you know, they're single breath of air, and there's always this point when you're teaching people to free dive where they like sort of get anxious or nervous because what do they want? They want air, and their body tells them, turn around and get to the surface as quick as you can. And that's when injuries and bad things happen because then your body's using all your oxygen and energy, and you're not going to make it quite to the top before you run out of the oxygen and energy and air that you need. Does that make sense? Like you speed up. So he tells them, when you feel the need to speed up, he tells them, when you feel the need to speed up, slow down. When you feel the need to speed up, slow down. There are a lot of you who on Sunday morning, you want to speed through life, and we miss worship. When God says, slow down, I have a gift for you. You think by going faster, you're going to get the air that you need. It's not how it works. Martin Stephanie teaches his people this. When you feel the need to speed up, slow down. Worship gives us the opportunity for this. It allows us to slow down, and what we really want to do is jump right into what's next. Listen, I know y'all. I've got a grocery list I've got to get done tonight. I've got some packing I've got to do. I've got reading and math homework for the kids. I've got my own stuff for work. It is easy sometimes to miss what it is God has for us for an hour on Sunday mornings. But worship is a gift of God that allows us to slow down when we want to jump right into what is next. People in the early church, they made sure their next time wasn't like their last time. They made sure that the, the widow they walked by wasn't ignored. They made sure that the orphan wasn't out on the street all by himself, but that he was cared for and that he was loved because the next time they walked by somebody that everyone else ignored was not going to be like their last time because they had been reshaped by a story that was changing their lives and had the power to change the world. Who is it that you're missing? What is it that you're missing? Because we haven't taken the opportunity to pause. What next time keeps coming really fast and is just like last time because you've not taken the power that God has for you to change things. We aren't going through the motions here in worship. Next week, we're not going to just go through the motions. God speaks to us and we come alive in these moments. Our lives aren't perfect, but they are different because we make worship one of the first things we do in the week. We put worship as a first thing first. Not because it's a burden, but because in a world that says, you don't need that gift, you say, I'm starved for it. And I know running past it, it's just going to expend all the energy and gifts that I have in the first place. I, I told you about Chris Brewer. I'm telling you that every single person that stands up here has been changed by worship. I've watched Julie's life completely be changed as she came to worship every single Sunday and made this a pattern of her life. I've watched 
Clarissa tell us in a Bible study group what it means to stand up in front of you all and sing songs about the work and the love of God in a world that asks her to speed all through and thinks she's not good enough. Crystalline marriage, Crystalline appears marriage is different because the first thing they do in the week is come here to serve God. There is something that happens here that changes us. We don't gather here because we don't have anything better to do. We gather here because worshiping God is a gift. A gift to Paul in a world that's asking us to live entirely too fast. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for the love of Jesus who taught us that when things are moving fast, it's okay to slow down. Thank you for the gift of worship. That in this moment, even as we own that we aren't perfect, God, that you whisper to us that you love us and we are owned by a new and different story, that we are new people created by you. And thank you, God. In this moment of worship for reminding us that we are released for something the world needs desperately, to shine light and ignite change in the name of Jesus.